Andy said. Um, hope that you had a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. It's a blessing to be able to gather together with friends and family, to rejoice in the blessings that we have. Uh, there's so many blessings that we do have, and so what a joy that is. Today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, so you can go ahead and turn there. It's a wonderful text, and I hope uh, as we go through it, it's going to encourage you and myself in our walk with Jesus. The next four weeks following today, we'll, we'll be going through a, a, an Advent series, but we're going to be sticking in the book of Acts as we do that. So we'll be covering uh, the themes of Advent as we continue in Acts, it's just a wonderful season of hope and longing for the coming King, a reminder of all that we have in Christ, and we get a taste of that today in the text that we're looking at, a taste of that longing and hope. And so if you're able to stand, go ahead and stand and follow along as I read Acts chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour, the man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his, his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, help us. Help us to believe. Even as we see a, a story about a miracle that you performed, Lord, help us to believe. Help us to see Jesus and the gospel in the midst of this beautiful and amazing story. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, the story is honestly such a happy story. You think about someone who understands thanksgiving and joy, and it's this guy in the text for sure. You see what's happening here. Verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And we know this about the disciples already. They devoted themselves, it says in Acts 2.42, to the prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to the prayers. But not just that, even before that, in Acts 1.14, we know of them. It says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So the, the apostles and other believers regularly were devoting themselves to praying and regularly devoting themselves to praying at the temple. And that's what we have happening here. It was the ninth hour, which 
for our clocks is about three in the afternoon. It's three in the afternoon. And Luke says that it was the hour of prayer. Now, in Judaism, at the ninth hour, the second daily burnt offering was made at the temple. So that's what's happening at the temple. That doesn't at all mean that Peter and John were, were participating in that or in some way believed that this sacrifice at the temple was necessary for forgiveness of sins. They no longer trust in that or believe in that. They know that Christ has come and fulfilled that, and they've trusted in Christ as the payment and sacrifice for sins. And so it's, it's best to understand that the early church was devoted to prayer, and this is a part of that. It's still in some way tied to their Jewish tradition. And so these two are attending the afternoon prayers in the temple. And verse 2 says, And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now, a lame man is, is someone who is um, unable to walk, right? Lame or crippled in the feet. Whether that means they, 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 they limped along through life or they were completely unable to walk. And we know from the context this man could not walk. Likely, relatives would carry him to the temple every single day so that he could beg each day from those coming and going from the temple. Now, I want us to consider for a moment the life of this man. It says that he's been this way since he was born. He was born this way. Born unable to walk in a society where you would be treated as an outcast. Having to be carried every single day of your adult life to those very people who treated you as an outcast to ask them to give you money. To beg from them. We know from chapter 4, verse 22, it says there that he was over 40 years old. Every day, over 40 years old. So he's probably been a beggar, been carried back and forth from the temple, laying there, begging every day for over 30 years. That's his life. And it says, every day they laid him at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. Now, why, why there? At the gate of the temple. Because that's as far as he could go. That's as far as he was permitted to go. He wasn't allowed inside the temple gates. He was an outcast. He was un welcomed. Now let that sink in. I know we talked about this a lot years ago when we went through the Gospel of Luke, but just try to fathom how this would feel. Every day of your life, carried back and forth to the place where you are unwelcome unwelcome in the place where you knew God was present. 
the one place that you knew God met with people, you were unwelcome. Has there ever been a time in your life that you have ever felt unwelcome in the place that you knew God was present? This was the circumstance for this man every single day, and he would lay there begging, not please let me come in. He knew that was impossible. He begged for money. He begged for silver and for gold. The people who, who would regularly come and go from the temple day after day, week after week, they wouldn't be surprised to see him there because it says he was there every single day. You notice the gate there is described as the one called the beautiful gate. There's no mention of that gate by Josephus, who was a, a Roman historian, uh, nor in the Mishnah. And so it's best to just kind of leave it at that. Luke knew, those people knew. We don't know what gate that was. But here's this man carried, now laying there every single day of his life, begging. He would ask for alms, ask for money, for help. As those entering and leaving the temple. And the giving of alms was, was central, was a central feature of, of, of Israelite and Jewish piety. The law motivated people of Israel to help. Whether they did or didn't, it motivated them to do that. The significance of almsgiving in Judaism can be seen in, in Tobit uh, 4, 6 through 11. The book of Tobit is a, a part of the Apocrypha. It says this in it, to all those who practice righteousness, give alms from your possessions and do not let your eye begrudge the gift when you make it. Do not turn your face away from anyone who is poor, and the face of God will not be turned away from you. If you have any possessions, make your gift from them in proportion. If few, do not be afraid to give according to the little you have. So you'll be laying up a good treasure for yourself against the day of necessity, for almsgiving delivers from death and keeps you from going into the darkness. Indeed, almsgiving for all who practice it is an excellent offering in the presence of the Most so you see how important it was for them. And so he's here begging. And that's how he lived the majority of his life. He's there this day hoping to be given enough to contribute to his family. And it goes on in verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And that makes sense. It doesn't at all mean that he sees something significant necessarily in them. He just sees two more people going into the temple who he asks for money, just as he always does. His request of Peter and John was, was what he asked of everyone, every hour of every day. Have pity on me. Verse 4, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Now, this lame man, this crippled man who's carried back and forth from this temple every day of his life could never have imagined when he was carried there that morning what is about to happen or how he's going to get home. And Peter here speaks on behalf of himself and John 
You notice here how Peter reflects his Lord Jesus. There are times where the disciples were not accepting, welcoming of others, loving of others the way that Jesus loved others. But they have changed. You can see that here. Peter directed his gaze at him. Peter noticed him. He looked at him. He focused on him. This outcast is being seen as one created in the image of God. And Peter says to him, look at us. Probably that would have been difficult. Maybe he was used to avoiding eye contact. But Peter is assuring him here. He's been seen. And Peter encourages him to look back. There's this deep face-to-face contact here. It's very personal. In verse 5, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. The beggar, he does it. He looks at them with this expectation that they're going to give him some money. That's as much as he could have hoped for. He's anticipating getting something from them. Maybe that didn't happen a lot. We don't know. It's not difficult for us to think about a homeless person or a jobless person standing on the corner with a sign begging for money and remembering how many people just pass by without looking at them, without acknowledging them, without speaking to them, without anything. It's not difficult for us to picture that, but here Peter and John are looking at him and say, look at us, and he fixes his eyes on them, and it's this intense moment that he has no idea what is about to happen. He just, he's just like, I'm actually going to get some money. In verse 6, Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, honestly, there had to be a moment of, uh, right? I mean, he's thinking, I'm getting money, and the first thing he's here is, I don't have any money, which has got to be for a second, that's a bummer. But he has no idea what's about to happen. Peter says, we don't have any money which is interesting in light of what we've learned recently in the book of Acts, how the believers were sharing their property. So for Peter and John and and so many other believers, money has stopped being the most important thing for them. They've experienced something greater now. So this response from Peter is understandable. He's saying, "I, I don't have that. We have something better than that. And what's going through this guy's mind when he first hears those words? Peter really does have something better. He didn't have money. He didn't have silver or gold, but he had something much better than that, something completely different than what this man could have ever expected that day. You notice that Peter didn't even ask him? I mean, there's times where Jesus asks what do you want me to do for you? 
He doesn't even ask him. He just heals him. He just does it. Doesn't need permission, doesn't get permission, just heals him. Doesn't, he doesn't even say, stand up and walk. That's, that's probably what Jesus would say. But Peter wants to make certain that everyone, especially this man, knows who is healing him and from whom the power comes for him to be healed. So he doesn't just say, stand up and walk. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand or rise and walk. Now, it's important that we don't get things mixed up here. The name Jesus certainly carries power. We see that here in this text. We see it in other places. Peter's making clear that that is where the power is coming from. But it's not Peter. It's not John. We're going to see that as we get into chapter 4. They're very clear. This is not us. This is Jesus. You mentioned Jesus' name and new things are happening. But also, it is not that anyone can just throw the name of Jesus around like a magic word. That's not at all what is happening here. That's not what Peter is trying to teach through this. It's not what he's condoning through this. We'll, we'll see that clearly as we move later in Acts where there are people who actually tried to do that. Tried to just take the name of Jesus and throw it around to to. to to use it as a, as a power word. And it ends up pretty poorly for them. But the power is completely and fully in the name of Jesus. Jesus continues his work of healing. Right here in this man's life, Jesus is continuing his work of healing. Verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Peter takes him by the hand, literally grasps, grasps the lame man's hand, and helps him up. And all of a sudden, there's strength in limbs that were once atrophied and dead. I mean, this is 40 plus years of no use. And immediately, immediately, it says, without delay, the muscles of the feet and ankles of this man suddenly become strong and firm so that they're able to support a 40-plus-year-old man. Verse 8, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. It's amazing. It's so amazing, it may be hard for some of you to believe. It's amazing. That's the power of Jesus at work in a, in a person. Immediately, he's jumping around. No need to even learn how to use these legs he's never learned, which is a miracle in itself. He's leaping rejoicing, jumping for joy. Can you even imagine that? I'd love it if we try to imagine it. Imagine having never, ever walked your whole life. You've had to be carried 
everywhere. You're 40 some years old, which I can tell you is old, okay? I feel it now. I'm 50 now, if you didn't know. It's old. I used to look at it like it was such a great thing. It's old. He's been carried for that many years, every day, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And immediately, for the first time in his entire life, strength is put into his legs and feet, and he's able to stand. Imagine if that was you. You've begged your whole life. And now in a moment, you're healed. What would you do? I think you would leap. I think you would jump around. I think you would rejoice in what God had done in your life. But there's something else that he did for the first time that it says there in that verse. What does it say? He entered the temple with them. He entered the temple with them. What a blessing. I asked this once before. None of us, not one of us, can know what it feels like or felt like to not be welcomed in the one place that God met with people. But he knew what it felt like. He knew what, what it was like to be excluded, to look from the outside. And for the first time, he's welcomed into the temple of God. And just like so many other accounts of Jesus' healing, he's walking and leaping and praising God. He's giving God the glory for what has happened. He can't contain himself. The story is so wonderful. And it finishes in 9 and 10. All the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They see what God has done, and now they're overwhelmed and rejoicing and glad. The people recognize, obviously they recognize, and they walk past him every single day that they would go to the temple. They passed him over and over and heard him call out for money from them. Maybe some of them gave, maybe some of them didn't give. But they all knew who he was, and, and now they see him doing what they've never seen him do before and never expected that he would do. He's walking and praising God, and they're now filled with wonder and awe. Of course, they're filled with wonder and awe that God would do such a thing. Now, before we finish or transition to taking the Lord's Supper, I want to point out what I think is so significant and incredible and wonderful from this text. This lame man was healed, right? People are amazed because people who were born lame were regarded as hopeless cases. 
There's not hope for them to ever walk. And therefore, there's not hope for them to ever be welcomed. You couldn't enter the temple if you were lame. You were unwelcome. You were an outcast. And that's the story of this man for over 40 years. That's all he knew. But we see in the text that he enters the temple with Peter and John for the first time ever. We see the gospel in this one man. He wasn't welcome where God dwelt with men. And so what did God do? He went to him. God left and went to him and healed him. God came out of the holy place to the man lying on the street, the one who couldn't get to God on his own. God came to him and healed him and welcomed him. That's the gospel. That's the story of you and the story of me if you're in Christ. We couldn't get to him. We couldn't get up on our own. We couldn't get to where God was. And God knew that. And so he sent his son to us to bring us to him. I want you to imagine something with me for a moment. Where was this man lying every day of his life as he begged? Every single day, carried to the temple, laid at the gate of the temple. His friends, his family, whoever brings him there, they leave. He's there all day. He's begging. They come and get him. They take him home and again and again and again. He's lying outside the temple. Now think about this for a minute. How many times did Jesus enter that temple? How many times did Jesus walk to that temple? Now we don't know the exact number of times. We have no idea. We don't know how many times he used that gate. We don't know. But we can imagine it was sufficient amount of times. And how many times did Jesus walk past this man? We know he loved him. We know he cared about his situation. We know that. We know that he noticed him. Maybe this man's family and friends had heard about Jesus. Maybe they had seen Jesus heal someone else and wished so very much that he would just touch their son or their brother or their friend. But he never did while he was on earth. And all of the times that he must have passed this man that it tells us was carried there every single day, he never did. But that doesn't mean he forgot the man. It doesn't mean that he didn't have a glorious plan for this man. It doesn't mean that he didn't love him. And you may feel like the Lord isn't answering your prayer for something. 
That doesn't mean he never will. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a glorious plan for you. It doesn't mean he doesn't notice you. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. If this man proves anything, it proves that God still cares about the person who is an outcast. Jesus is gone physically at this point. He's, he's ascended to the Father and he still cares. What a beautiful reminder. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper. This, this man is such a good reminder for us. His, his whole life, he could not go where he knew God met with men. He was met by God right where he was at. Met by the man who is now where God meets with men. The person Jesus Christ. This gospel picture is a reminder of how God left his place to come to us to bring us into a relationship with him. We celebrate that. That's what we, that's what we remember. That's what we celebrate each and every single week when we take the Lord's Supper. That God came to us in our infirmity. That he came to us in our weaknesses. That he came to us in our brokenness. He came to us when we were unwelcome. When we were cast out. When we were nothing, dead in our trespasses and sins, not wanting him at all, he came to us. And we celebrate that and we remember that. His body was broken for this man and for us. And his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of this man's sins and for ours. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And as we go now into a time where we remember, where we take a a cracker and a cup of juice and we remember that these are reminders, they're symbols of something so great. As great as this man on the street who encountered Jesus through Peter and John and was healed, we remember, Lord, that you have given to us such a great healing that you have forgiven our sins, washed them away, that you've welcomed us through Jesus. Jesus, that your body was literally broken, your blood was literally poured out so that we could have mercy, so that we could be forgiven and freed. So help us, Lord, help us. As we remember your body, we remember your blood, we remember your words, your life for us. Help us. Help us to be thankful. Help us to rejoice in what we have received from you, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.